Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. Today, you're going to be listening to a conversation with Taisha Selden, aka at the Millennium Educator. And we're going to be talking about a few things. One, the conversations that need to be happening between schools administration and their teachers so that their students are getting everything that they need. We talk mental health, we talk teacher support, and we talk about the alternative pathways to teaching. Um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation because we get in deep about the reasons why we need to support our children and help them capitalize on their gifts. So I'm super excited for you guys to hear it. Please let us know what you think. So enjoy the episode. Um, hi. So welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. We're super, super happy to have you. I like to let my, my guests tell my listeners who they are. Hi, I'm Tasha Lene on social media. I am at the Millennial Educator. I am the owner of Black University, which is an apparel line for educators of color. On social media, we are at the Black Educators Apparel and also Black Educators Connect. Those are like two separate pages, but they're all under Black University. And the purpose is just to provide apparel and ways for educators of color to connect. Because as an educator of color living in Denver, Colorado, myself and the nurse were the only people of color in the school I taught at here. And I've taught at three other schools besides that one. And I always found that there was disparities within having educators of color within the buildings and often I felt like my voice wasn't being heard I didn't have any outlet to like express myself and as a natural problem solver I was like I know I can't be the only one that feels this way Mm -hmm. so I was like how can I create like a community of support and network for educators of color and then the pearl connected because I also was not making a lot of money and I was like Mm. how can I make an impact while making an income and like you know I like to be comfortable so I was like let's do like you know expressive teas for educators of color so that's my little story in a nutshell love that I love the impact while making an income that's awesome you're gonna make that you know put that on a shirt um (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So you kind of like broke down some of my first questions about like why you started Black Teachers Connect or Black Educators Connect and why you wanted to like start cultivating community and things like that. And I think you kind of touched on um, those key pieces, the idea that like oftentimes I know this to be true for myself and my own educational experience, um, especially like in in my K through 12 experience, like I did not have a lot of teachers of color. And I think third grade, I had a teacher of color. She was a black woman. And I, and I felt like a difference in my empowerment of education being in her class rather than other classes I had been in. Like she put me in advanced classes and before school and after school, like programming. And she saw like a potential in me that other students, I mean, the other teachers didn't necessarily have. So I think that that relationship and being able to cultivate that and have teachers who like understand your experience is so helpful. And, um, it's, it's, I think you touched on it, it's lacking because there are way too many schools that don't have um, a sufficient amount of educators of color to bring up those sorts of topics within the, within the building. And so, again, you told us that you're a teacher. Tell us a little bit about your experience as a teacher, why you wanted to become one, how that process came along for you. Well, that was a long journey. It was not a straight path. <laughs> So in college, I majored in criminal justice, and I thought I was going to be a lawyer. When I was in high school, I had two internships. So I'm originally from Baltimore. I went to college in Florida, and then I got my master's, of course, in 
Colorado because I got a scholarship to get my master's. And I was only going to get my master's if I got a scholarship because I had four jobs in college. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to grad school unless someone pays for it. So someone did. But before I got to that point, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I had internships in, co- in high school in Baltimore, went to college, majored in criminal justice. Throughout that journey, I just realized like I wasn't really sure if I wanted to be a lawyer. And I realized that I was going to be a lawyer for all the wrong reasons like all my family was so proud to tell everyone like Tashi is going to school to be a lawyer but no one can send me twenty dollars fifty dollars like mm. I'm working four jobs like y'all not helping support the journey but y'all willing to be at the end to say like oh she's a lawyer you know they're so proud like would you not be proud of me if I was also a teacher mm. or if I did something else so I still you know majored in criminal justice because I was very passionate about crime and like law and like I was really interested in it and my last semester you had to get an internship somewhere. So I interned at the police department working working in victims advocacy. And I honestly really liked it because it was like helping the victims. Um, but they were not hiring for that position. Like the lady I was working under, she was working in that position for like 30 years. And I'm pretty sure she's still working there and she's probably gonna work it until she dies. It was like a small police station. And they were like, well, Ty, you know, you can go to cadet school and you can become a cop. And I was like, I don't wanna be a cop. Like one of my mentors is a black cop in Baltimore but I've never wanted to be a cop. I thought of detective work, but I realized like I do not like blood and like it does not look like how it looks on CSI. And I'm just like, (laughs) I'm not for that. So I like ultimately had to figure out what I wanted to do. Like I literally had to talk to myself. Like I talk to myself a lot now, but back in the day it wasn't so normal to talk to yourself, but I had to have a conversation with myself. Like, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And it was travel or work with kids. So I applied to be a flight attendant and I applied for Teach for America. So I went on an interview for Teach for America. Um, I went to a charter school in Boston. So I thought I was moving to Boston. Mm-hmm. And then I get a call August 15, 2015. Like, I will never forget this date. August 15, 2015, Denver, Colorado. And I was like, where is that? Like, I didn't know anything. But I literally had to Google, like, where that was. And all I knew is they were like, you can come here. Like, we're going to pay for your schooling and they like show me how the program works and I was like well bad like I'm not doing anything so I literally got my car shipped to Colorado got my dad shipped some of my stuff from Baltimore because mind you I was living in Florida like beyond my some sophomore semester I lived in Florida like I did not go home until the summertime like it was nice weather like I'm not going to Baltimore and it's cold and raining and I had all these jobs so I was like I cannot just go home when I want so I literally did not go home to the summer so my first time experiencing winter again of course is also when I moved to Colorado so my dad was like I'm gonna just send all your stuff from Baltimore there and I'm like why he's like because it snows there and I'm like okay (laughs) so (laughs) I just came here and the original program that I was in was at DU, University of Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, that program no longer exists. And with that program, the scholarship covered 35000 because these like seventy k, and you had to teach for five years for them to pay the rest. And I just feel like I didn't want to have to be here five years if it wasn't my choice. Yeah. So I left that program. And I started doing math fellows, which is like a small group tutoring program. You go into classrooms and teach kids reading or also read it, uh, math or reading. And through doing math fellows for a year, I got the scholarship for Relay, which is another teacher prep program. Mm-hmm. But it was a two-year program as opposed to one year. But I didn't have the relations of having to teach for five years. So I did that program and I got my master's last year in August. So Congratulations. Thank you. 
That's amazing. And I think, so it's funny, I'm going to be doing Teach for America um, in New York City starting in the summer. So I feel like a lot of folks that we've had on <laughs> on the Black Black Education podcast are, are very close to TFA, whether they were in the core, worked for the core, or um, know of the core, were, were, were principals at schools where, where folks from the core were coming to. So a lot of people are very like, if people listen to our podcast, they are very, they understand what Teach for America is. Um, and so it's awesome to know that there's so many people who come from a non-traditional kind of linear path. A lot of folks that I've talked to, like, were not education majors coming into and figuring out that they wanted to become teachers. Um, our podcast going out today, we have a similar conversation. Someone who started Teach for America didn't finish and then, but still ended up continuing in the classroom. So it's very interesting to see that, like, um, the power that, that teaching and, and being an educator can give um, to people. and like like we're going to continue through this conversation you kind of um were able to figure out like i want to do this or i want to do that and then you did everything that you had to do to do those things and then and then you went and you're teaching and it's amazing and it's awesome we're going to talk more about kind of your experience there um and then kind of move into the fact that like teaching isn't the isn't the um you don't go into it for money so you had to start figuring out where yeah. other um, to make other streams of income and things like that and so um we when we had our conversation pre-recording um we talked a little bit about like some issues that you've had with administration um the disconnect between administrations and schools and the teachers and then again even more of a disconnect between the administration and the students and so i just wanted you to talk a little bit more about that part of of your experience as a teacher so with Relay, so Relay is a two-year program. Your first year, you are a considered a resident teacher. So you work with like a um, experienced teacher. So that experienced teacher was my third grade class that I taught, which is funny because talking about your story, my favorite teacher was my third grade teacher. So I always was like, I want to teach third grade. Yeah, until I taught third grade. And I was like, I am not teaching third grade again. <laughs> they were like just a little too babyish for me. Like I found out out of all the grades, I like fourth. So my first uh, year with Relay, I taught third grade. Went great beyond the fact that my resident teacher wasn't there. Like the purpose of you having a resident teacher is because you're supposed to learn from them. And like unfortunate things happen. So my resident teacher... She had to have surgery, and she was out for, like, four months, and this, her son had to have surgery, so she, he, she was out for three months. So, literally, I only had her for two months out of the whole school year. The rest of the, the time, I was literally running her class by myself. Wow. And it was kind of chaotic because at the school I taught at, this was before I got this, uh, before I started Black University, but it just all led to that. Like, at this school, it was, like, an ELA class or a regular English class. So if the kids did not speak Spanish or were second language students, they were not in ELAs. Of course, they were only in the English class. So I had a lot of behavioral issues in my class. And of course, they had nowhere else for them to go. Even towards the end of the school year, the principal of that school came to me and said, Ty, I'm so sorry the school year went this way. And I know there were some kids you're not supposed to have in your class, but we literally had nowhere for them to go. It was like, they were just like setting me up for failure. But like me, I just like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And then um, at the end of that year, 
you had to take a full classroom position because of course you were now going into your second year of grad school and you were going to soon have your master's. And I knew like after that experience, I was like, I'm not going back to the school. So then I was trying to figure out where I wanted to teach at. And I knew like, I'm really, really good at math. And I love teaching math. So I looked into middle school because you know, with middle school, you can decide if you want to teach a subject or not. Now, let me you, you don't have that leeway. You just, have to teach whatever the school tells you to teach like different subjects so I applied for sixth grade math and seventh grade math but I also applied to elementary positions because I do like fourth grade and fifth grade as I mentioned so I got offered to teach seventh grade math or to teach fourth or fifth grade at a Montessori school so I was like oh I kind of like both of those positions but I took the fourth and fifth at the Montessori school because I had recently found out about Montessori curriculum the summer prior and I was just like where has this been all my life? Like, you know, it's one of those things like you don't know until you don't know until you find out. And I just really like this, especially teaching third grade. In third grade, kids are expected to learn and know multiplication. And I realized a lot of my third graders didn't know multiplication. Mm. And there's like not much to really help them. It's like you either know it or you don't. And with Montessori curriculum, everything's tied to a work. So kids have like a physical thing that they can play with, a physical thing they see and grab until they actually can say and tell you what's three times eight. So mm -hmm. that part I really, really like. So I was like, okay, I'm taking the Montessori job. And especially when I like went to the school, interviewed, um, they were saying like, oh, you know, their philosophy is that they are in Montbello. So in Denver, Colorado, Montbello is like the only like, black and brown community left uh, post gentrification. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, this school exists because the students in this neighborhood deserve this quality type of education, which I totally agree because Montessori curriculum is awesome. As I mentioned, like the difference between me teaching traditional third grade and me teaching fourth grade is that the resources that they actually need are there and it's in place in the curriculum. And then you can combine it with traditional schooling because it was a public charter. So you still had testing and things, but those works really help. However, there's one thing to say something and there's another thing to do it. Like you can mm -hmm. say that you're for these kids, but you're not actually doing it. Of course, I didn't know that until I was actually in the building because everything looks glamorous on picture and social media and your website. You can have a nice little mission statement and I actually follow that mission statement. So I'm in this school and I, it just, I don't know. And I understand coming off like the school I left prior, the one that I was just thrown in that school beyond that was a great school like they were exceeding expectations so on like the grade scale for schools this school is a blue school which means they were above average like we had iPads like I had all the resources I needed I just didn't have like academic support and like behavior support but beyond that the school had everything they needed because when your school is succeeding you get everything you need there's no lack um so then I came to this school, the Montessori school, and they were orange and they had one year to get yellow. Meaning like if you're orange and you are beyond orange, your school closes. Mm. And prior to that, prior to that, this Montessori school was taken over by another school that got shut down. So even when I was telling all my friends in grad school with me where I'm working, they're like, oh, you know, that school that got shut down, but it already had like that negative connotation. But then here you guys have a year to get yellow and, you know, I'm coming from a blue school. So I'm like, I'm thinking, like, I'm being helpful. Like, hey, you know, you guys should do this. You guys should do that. But I understand coming off now, it's probably was like, well, who is this teacher trying to tell us what to do? But it was coming from a genuine place. Like, I'm coming from a school that was exceeding expectations, and you guys are on the brink of closing. 
But everything that I said, it was literally like I was talking to a brick wall. Like nothing was taken into consideration. And by all means, like I didn't have all the answers, but I knew enough, especially being in grad school and like going over curriculum and going over research. Like the main thing the school was lacking was the scope and sequence. And like, ironically, like when DPS did their rating, the first thing the school told them was like, you need a scope and sequence. And not to say I know everything, but I'm like, that is like an alignment. Like it doesn't say that you have to follow it, but it gives you a guideline. And that's what the school was lacking. Like there was no structure for anything. Like everything was just on the whim. Like I would be in class one day teaching my kids and they were like, oh, you won't be teaching reading today. We had to test. And I'm like, did you guys not know we had a test today? Like it was just a lot. And like my principal, she would never come into my classroom and observe me. I would always just hear about the things that I was, wasn't doing right. And it wasn't until my advisor emailed her and was like, um, I'm, she's like, you know, this is my second year in grad school. And, you know, I'm no longer going to be like observing her because, you know, now she's taking ownership of her own classroom. But I have a few observations left. Can you come and observe her with me? And she had to email my previous principal like three times for her to actually respond to her to come into my classroom and actually observe me and beyond that this lady had never came to my classroom whenever she came to my classroom it was to say something negative or to like say something that one of my students wasn't doing right and I'm just like yo come into my classroom like you would actually know what I'm doing if you came into my classroom but it was never that she was just always like nitpicking and I was just like it just was not a good feeling at all but like beyond that my students were great but I just knew like spiritually my soul was not there and I was like I need to find a support network or create my own support network and that's where the vision for like my business came about love that love that and I think that that like a lot of the teachers and stuff that we're seeing on social media I think they're coming to the point where they're realizing that like cultivating relationships we're seeing that a lot right now considering we are in the middle of a pandemic and everyone's learning how to relearn their to do their lives online and so mm-hmm. Um, like we're seeing just so many people come together and create support networks online, create group chats and, and just all these different things that are helping, um, teachers figure out best practices to help their students. Cause I think at the end of the day, that's what teachers want to do. They want to make, mm-hmm. give their students the most and the best and the most quality education that they can. And it's not easy to do that. Like, it's just not an easy, easy it's just not an easy thing to do. And so when we get online and realize there's so many other people who are trying to do the same things and who are battling the same hardships, like administrations that aren't receptive or um, parents and students who aren't prepared and, and then you trying to help. And then it's just so much when you're a teacher that you, that you have to deal with that it just becomes so very difficult um, to, to be at your best and to, and be the best. And so sometimes when we go on social media and we connect with other people, we're able to like, figure out how we can best help in with the with the issues that we can't control administration we can't control the administration of of the schools that we teach at but we can control how we how we react to it and how we um better ourselves by reaching out and kind of um and kind of making sure that everybody that there are other people to support us in our in our quest to as a teacher obviously help students as much as possible so I was definitely rambling there but um (laughs) we can kind of move into the next into the next um question and so like in our conversation before recording we talked a little bit about like the demographic of teachers in the schools that you've had a chance to work in and we talked about the fact that there are not a lot of teachers of color and so how do you think that that impacts like the school culture um as a whole 
Um, I I think it impacts it a lot, but I also it also could just be the norm as well because I have a friend who is also going through the teaching process, like she's getting her degree and things like that. But she was born and raised here. So mm-hmm. to her, it's just normal. But she also realized because she's been other places that there was a lot. So she of course wants to be the change. Mm-hmm. But me you know, coming from Baltimore, Baltimore, D.C., Chocolate City. I went to HBCU. Coming here, I was like, this is not cool. Like, there needs to be some more people here. Like, where where are we? But at the same time, I understand because, unfortunately, like, at the end of the day, education and education system was not designed for us. And then when people are a color, are put into these positions, you don't treat us correctly. It's just like, it's like a fight and flight type of thing. But I think it really, like, I don't know, it just is either normal to people and kids or it's not normal. And if it's not normal, kids either want to, you know, go out of state for different schools or they just stay with it because there's normal. Some people don't uh, progress to change well and they don't seek to find different ways. And if it's not a problem for them, they're just not going to, you know, find an alternative. Yeah. Um, no, I definitely agree. I, I definitely agree with the normalizing part. Like we had a focus group um, not too long ago in the fall. And basically we asked students like how many black teachers did you have? Or how many teachers of color did you have throughout your K through 12 experience? And the resounding understanding that we kept coming to was that they had never even questioned that for themselves. Yeah. So like when they were telling, they're like, hold on, I really got to think. And, and one, because there were so few, and the other was because they never took into account that it mattered that there were no teachers of color in their schools. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to have like a really dynamic conversation about like, well, what would it, and then for all those people who did have teachers of color, for most of them, it wasn't very hard for them to pull it out of their mind. Like me, my mm-hmm. third grade teacher, I remember her, I know, because she really made an impact in my life. One, because she was a great teacher, and two, because she understood me in a way that most of my teachers who I had before that just didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it really does impact school culture, like you said, um, that when it's normalized, when it finally, when they finally realize, like, oh, this is a problem, um, hopefully we're creating leaders uh, that want to be a part of that change, like you said, for your friend. And so as someone who like wants to work in the education system, what would you do if you were in a place of power to change the things that you experienced specifically as a teacher? Honestly, I would make, I would focus on developing the whole educator. And that's all like, that's what my business is all about. Because I feel like in education period, like they expect you to give so much of yourself. And it wasn't until my first year teaching that I woke up on a Saturday and I used to live on the other side of town from the school I taught at. It literally took me 40 minutes every day to get to school. I woke up on a Saturday, didn't realize it was Saturday, woke up, was rushing, got dressed, drove all the way to my school. It was like three cars in the parking lot. And I'm like, oh, I'm just probably early. And then I checked my phone, it was Saturday. And mom was like, you are losing it because in school systems, they make you feel so guilty for like taking a day off and things like that. And it's like, mm-hmm. you have these days off for a reason. You're yeah. a principal. Make sure you have a sub available for this teacher, like, and not put so much pressure on them because they want to take a day off. And so even my, like, I really enjoyed my first ever like coordinator for the school I was at because she's like, does anyone, like she would check in with us. Like, does anyone need a mental health day? And we would take one. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I literally was like running myself dry. And I feel like a lot of administrators 
do that. And like, that's the first step. Like you really need to take care of your teachers beyond teaching because we are actual people outside of this profession. Like you cannot be of service to no one if you're not taking care of yourself. That goes for anyone. So I feel like if I was someone in power, principal, whatever, like self-care would really be the main priority of our team. Like we can, everything else can wait because I, my teachers can't help students if they're not well. Like I just would advocate for self-care. That's above everything else. Like nothing honestly matters beyond that. That's no. And that's um, absolutely true. Like I think too often I've learned this about myself in this time of quarantine of like, I am one of those people who's, who my self-worth is very much tied to my output and how much I'm working and my productivity and how like, and so for the first couple weeks of this, of being quarantined and being in the house and feeling like I'm not really doing enough or not going hard enough or not like <laughs> preparing for enough, like I'm just not doing enough, that feeling really hurt my self-esteem and we shouldn't have that like there should be times of rest and times of solace and times to understand like who you are but that's going to help your students understand that it's okay for them to take mental health days and for them to realize that they have to worry about their um mental health and everything that's going on with them because I think too often we tell people to push and push and push and push until they have nothing left and when you have nothing left it takes a really long time for you to get back into a, a um a moment of productivity and so if we're not putting wellness into our everyday life then like how are we going to be as like you said how are we going to be good for our students if we're not good within ourselves um and so like speaking of being quarantined and speaking of of coronavirus what changes have you had to deal with as a teacher um to really start to like understand your students and their experiences outside of school considering that they're now learning from home and you're teaching from home um well i'm really good with like uh relationship building so there wasn't really much that i didn't know about my students that i didn't already know currently um I guess it was just adjusting to, like, the formats of the programs because I'm still not good with Zoom. Like, I hardly know how to use it. Um, but just making sure, like, the students have the resources. Like, the schools, you know, they have times where kids can come and get food and things. They had, like, laptop drop-offs, but then they didn't take into consideration, like, not every parent has a car and things like that. So when it came to stuff like that, what I knew, like, where parents, the parents didn't have a car, or maybe the parents were still working because they're essential workers. Like, we made sure the partner with, other teachers and we did laptop drop-offs instead of the people and our families coming to the schools like the ones that were fortunate enough to come to schools they could come to school and pick up the laptop but you also realize that some kids walk to school some kids you know their parents don't have cars their parents are working all the time how are they going to get their laptops even though you know we have the laptops for them so that's like a post i posted a post on black educators connect from another educator her instagram is a go teacher i believe Go ahead, teacher. She focuses on like self-care and things like that. But she posted a post and I reposted it. And it said like five things that the educational system was revealed through COVID-19. And one was like that there's privilege. And in that, that's what I realized. Like as much as I keep in contact with my families and things, like it would be so oblivious to me to be like, okay, yeah, you guys can come and get these laptops. And I'm like, no, like you can't come and get these laptops. So I had to make sure that I gave the resources to the students that I knew wasn't able to get those resources. Cause like, how are you going to expect them to do this work? And they don't even have the resources and also giving them grace. Like, yeah, we have this schedule now, but it's just like, it's okay. If you don't, you 
you don't complete it every single day. Like yeah. I'm fine with that. Like if I see, if I know when I see growth in a student and it's just like, cause they're adjusting to this too. Like everyone just yeah. should be allowed. Like, yeah, we have the schedule and it's great because it's, we're working on it. And of course we get better at it every day. It's like riding a bike. Like you don't just ride the bike without the training wheels. Like mm-hmm. you got to ride it with the training wheels first. So we try it out and see, and just like give students grace. And then of course check in on them. Like don't assume like, Oh, you're just being lazy. You're not doing anything. Like they're coping with this too. Like, I check in with my kids, like, on the side, you know, outside of, like, their main group chat with everyone and just see how they're doing, like, as a person. Like, mm-hmm. they're people, too. Like, it's not all about academics. Like, and that's what I'm focusing on. Like, yes, of course, I want you to be great and things like that. But it's just, like, I want to make sure you're well as a person because, honestly, at the end of the day, none of this, like I said, none of it matters if none of us are well. Like, and that's our students, too, because, like, we certainly perform at all these high levels. And just, like, have you checked in with them mentally, like, I see when kids are like not focused or not turning to work, like it could be something going on deeper than the surface. Yeah. I mean, uh, on our last podcast episode, um, we, we had an interview and basically what, what our, what, what the person said is she was just like, kids are not going to remember what they learned in spring of 2020. They're going to learn how they felt. They're going to learn how their teachers made them feel, how their, how their parents made them feel, how they felt in this space. They're not going to remember the French revolution. Like they're not going to remember those, those mundane parts of like what is going on with education. They're going to remember how they felt. And I I guarantee that some of your students are going to be like, I remember feeling safe. I remember feeling cared for. I remember feeling loved um, because you checked in on who I was as a person and didn't expect me to just be this robot who doesn't, who has no like sense of what's going on outside. And I think you mentioned, you also mentioned like privilege. And I think like the people who this transition has been super, super easy for, that's a sense of privilege. Like if you were able to just be like, boop, boop, done. Like I have internet at home. I have a computer that's mine. I don't have to share with anyone. I'm like simple, easy. I took online classes before. Like it's just been an easy transition. You have food in the house. You don't have to worry about school lunch or anything like that you're probably happy that you don't have to eat school lunch. Like that's a source of privilege. And I think that there's some people just realizing like, Oh, privilege isn't, isn't a dirty word. It's just something I have to be conscious of. And I've definitely Mm -hmm. that floating around on social media of like people starting to really understand, like this thing is, is completely outside of the scope of our normal realities. And so we have to understand that that's going to have a, have an impact on our psyche. And we need teachers to understand that as well, because too often teachers don't realize how much outside stuff comes inside the classroom with their students. And so I think mm-hmm. that privileged teachers in privileged places are understanding, oh, I have to give grace to my students because they're dealing with all these different things. We need to start doing that in our in totality um, for all students all the time because we don't know what people are coming to school with. Like people's people are losing people like people are dying so this is not just like a, oh we're we're staying home to be safe like we're staying home so we can save people's lives and we but, don't know uh, whose who's parent whose who's parent died or grandparent died or all of these different things that like come with this with with COVID-19 we have to like you said we have to give grace so I I definitely appreciate that just that framing of the conversation because a lot of a lot of people don't realize that this is not just an easy thing to like oh now it's just me opening my computer but it's the same exact thing and everything is normal because other people don't have the privilege of that easy transition 
Um, And so we're starting to like get closer and closer to the end of our conversation. And I think what's something that I really wanted to bring up before we close is you shared a really beautiful quote with me. Um, So it was something to the effect of, I don't want to butcher Langston Hughes, but when I discover who I am, then I'm free. And I think like what Black on Black Education is really trying to put out into the world is that the true purpose of school is to help us figure out who we are. So tell us a little bit about what that quote means for you and, um, and how you particularly help your students in this time and all the time kind of capitalize off their gifts. Um, so the idea for that quote, because again, when I was trying to figure out like a way and an outlet to express myself being frustrated at the school, I started, I was like, mm-hmm. I need to one again, I said, make an income or make an impact. So it had to be something that also would give me some additional income. But I was like, I also wanted to make a tribe and I wanted to be like a university and a college type of setting. And like me going to HBCU again, cause I'm in this state where African-Americans make up 7% of the population and even smaller percentage of that are African-American teachers or teachers of color. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I need to create like an HBCU type thing, like black (laughs) lives matter, black teachers matter or something. So I was like, let me, and with me living in Denver, it snows randomly like today. So my friends and I were snowed in my house in December of 2018. And we had just bought a sofa couch. So we're all just on my sofa couch watching a different world and by I've seen a different world plenty of times but like this one time I'm just like taking notes in my journal they're like Ty you're not even watching I'm like I am but it's like making deeper sense to me and I'm just like I need to create that for black educators and I was like oh my god I need to create like a university like a school type thing so with all HBCUs because I went to HBCU all HBCUs have like a Greek Latin slogan even the fictitious Hillman College like I researched literally looked up a different world online like way differently for me just watching the show like yeah. I look like they have a slogan and it's in Latin and it stands for something and like how their logo is and everything so I was like I need to have a Greek Latin slogan and I wanted it to be tied to like black culture and like reading too like emphasis on reading like when I first launched Black University all the collections were named after books written by black authors so mm. when I was looking at black authors I looked up of course Langston Hughes because I love poetry I used to write poetry as a form of uh, therapy. So I was like, Langston Hughes quotes, so I'm like going through all his quotes and then that one quote popped up and I was like, this has to be it. Like, Mm. because especially as like an educator of color and I'm still a millennial, like I'm still developing myself. I'm literally still learning myself. There's like so many things I don't know about. Like I told myself when I get closer to 30, I want to buy a house. I don't even know how to buy a house. What's the first step (laughs) in it? So I'm like, I'm just discovering myself. So honestly, like when you discover yourself, you're free. Like, I'm discovering so much about myself and like the things that people say about me or about my students or anyone, like it doesn't matter anymore because I feel free and whole within myself. So it does not matter. And as people of color, educated as a color, the more you discover yourself, there's a sense of freedom. There's a sense of belonging. So that's why that quote is the like slogan for black university. Um, And I feel like for my students, especially being in education system, unfortunately, like it's not always going to be in their favor. So they just have to know who they are and work on themselves and be so content within themselves that nothing matters. Like their grades, the standardized tests, them being marginalized, none of that will matter because they will truly know who they are. And they know that despite these grades, despite what you make on your GPA, like you can still do whatever you want to do in this world. Mm, I love it. I love it. I love it. 
And so kind of just to close out the conversation, I think that was a beautiful, beautiful um, end to our awesome conversation. Um, we always like to, to turn the conversation on its head and allow you to be the interviewer and me to become the interviewee if you have any questions for Black on Black Education. Um, and, and yeah. <laughs> I think the only question I have is like, what do you think your ultimate goal or outcome mm-hmm. is for Black on Black Education? Like, yeah. what, what, if money or nothing was an object, what would be the ultimate vision and outcome for Black on Black Education? Absolutely. If there was no, if I just had all the money in the world, Bill Gates just fell in love with me and just gave me all his money, <laughs> I would, um, we would have, we would be the equivalent of the YMCA. We would have, we would have um, spaces in communities of color all around the country and outside of the country that offers supplemental education. So we don't want to be schools, but we want to be the supplement to all the education that you're not learning in school. So tutoring, Mm -hmm. we want to have clinics, we want to have workshops, we want to have internship experiences, we want to be teaching people harm reduction, drug education, we want to be teaching people um, sexual education that's not abstinence only because teenagers have sex and they need to know what to do and how to do it and to be safe and keep themselves safe. Um, so there's just financial literacy. Like I recorded a podcast episode that's coming out soon. You guys will definitely hear and love about financial freedom and so many, and, and we have to understand that our communities, we are starting from behind. We cannot say that we've had the same experience in the United States that many other communities have had in the United States. And so because we were starting from behind, we need to kickstart. Um, and we need to put so much energy, money, and resources into fixing the historical context that is, is America. And so we want to be a space where communities come together to to, to be a part of what's come, going on in their community. So Black and Black Education is not going to come in and tell you what you need to learn. You're going to tell us what needs to happen in this space because it's not ours. I know what the students who I work with need. I don't know the needs of the students in Baltimore. I don't know the needs of the students in, in Flint, Michigan. And so we want to be a space where voices are heard, activism is occurring, but it's just a community, like the, the most amazing community center you could ever think of, that's what we would create if we had no um, economic and financial bounds. And so we are just working on curating that and figuring out what that looks like and, 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 and figuring out how we get the, the coin, the bread, the shimani to make it happen. Period. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. But I think you should just always lead with that in mind. Like often, of course, it's easier said than done because everything, like when you have a business, you have a vision, you always have a vision, but oftentimes it gets altered. But I would like you to like lead with that in mind. Like even now with this quarantine time, like I'm balancing, you know, working and like relaxing. Like some days I just do everything. Some days I like today beyond this call, I sleep all day and do nothing. Love but it. like I literally was just telling my friend, like I have to go back to the drawing board because oftentimes I put myself too much in my business. And like, yes, it started with my own personal problem. But at the end of the day, I have to make sure that I am keeping my target customer in mind, which is, mm. you know, educated the color and that I'm always leading with that. So I feel like if you just always lead with that, like you're going to get to where you need to go, but you need to just stay on course. Like even if it's just like a mental check in with yourself every day, like if 
is what I'm doing today aligning to my long-term vision? Like, mm-hmm. of course, like the path is always going to look different, but making sure that everything you do is going to align. Like you can have a goal, but be very flexible in your methods in the way that you obtain that goal. Absolutely. I appreciate that. I appreciate figuring out ways to work together again in the future. And I think this has been an incredible conversation. I think we should just close with you reminding people your social media handles, your website, so that folks can definitely go and check you out. Okay. So I am on Instagram, my personal Instagram, because again, I am a person outside of education. So (laughs) my personal Instagram is at the millennial educator, but it's only one in in the millennial because someone that has the other end but there was like a of course like a spam page and I'm like take that away so I can get that name but is that (laughs) (laughs) is that the millennial educator with one end my personal page and then my business is at black educators apparel which is the apparel side of black university and then at black educators connect which is basically like a blog for black educators i do a lot of reposting just showcasing like black excellence and educators and i also emphasize educator in everything i do because education is not confined to a classroom and you do not have to be an educator to be in a classroom i just happen to be one but i've done many things outside of a classroom that I'm still educating my community. So I emphasize that you do not have to be a teacher to wear my apparel. You do not have to be a teacher to be be posted on Black Educators Apparel and Black Educators Connect pages. So everything I do is tied to education in some way, whether I'm educating myself and other millennials like myself, or I'm educating in the classroom, or just education in general, because I feel like my philosophy is that I always should be growing, and that's just something personal for myself, but I feel like the more I learn, the more I grow, the more it's my goal to help other people. So my personal page, again, is at the Millennial Educator, one N, and at Black Educators Connect, and at Black Educators of Pearl. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time.